Pharmaceutical Technology presents the Drug Solutions Podcast, where the editors will chat with industry experts from across the pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical supply chain. Join us as experts share insights into your biggest questions, from the technologies to strategies to regulations related to the development and manufacture of drug products. This is the Drug Solutions Podcast. of the Drug Solutions Podcast. Today's installment will focus on investments throughout the greater biopharma sphere. I'm Grant Plater, Associate Editor for Pharmaceutical Technology, Pharmaceutical Technology Europe, and Biopharma International. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Siegfried Schmidt, Vice President of Technical at Paraxel, a biopharmaceutical contract research company. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Siegfried, can you take a second to introduce yourself for our audience? Right. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Siegfried Schmidt, uh, Vice President Technical with Paraxel, and a bit over 30 years in the industry. And I'm glad we can have a few questions and hopefully also answers for me. Thank you. Uh, so we're, this episode, we're talking about investments and partnerships. Uh, broadly speaking, what is your current impression of how investors are approaching the biopharma space? So the biopharma space, of course, has been very profitable and continues to be very profitable. And uh, that uh, is, is, of course, logically attractive to investors. Now, what I believe has happened over the years is that um, quite a number of people have specialized in the, uh, in the investors field, and they are very good at understanding how the business works, how the various companies uh, can provide maximum benefit for the investors. All right. Uh, what areas do you think they're specializing in or, and when they regard, with regards to the biopharma space, like just biopharma in a general sense, or are there certain sectors that are getting more attention than others? Uh, well, I think it's more the established sectors that get the, the biggest attention. Uh, of course, the, the, you can bet on some new products and they can make uh, superb uh, investments. But uh, if you're looking at the longer term investment, and I think a lot of the investment uh, companies are doing just that, then they are looking more at acquiring companies that either manufacture or provide services to the biofarm industry. And um, <clears throat> these are companies that may have already a very good reputation, may have already established themselves, but where these investors see not only a potential for investing their money, but where they also see a potential for improving their business models. And what are some ways they are looking to improve the business models? Well, <clears throat> what, uh, what companies tend to become is a bit complacent with themselves. And of course, uh, it would always be nice to know what the others do and how, where they do better and how they do better. But that can be tricky. Whereas investment companies who 
will have invested in a variety of the biofarm companies, they have a much better view often of where certain business models work better than others. And that may not just be um, for a particular type of company, but that could be specific to locations. Uh, can you give me an example of what you're what you mean by you say so, location? Yes. So it could be that um, a company may have focused on Europe, uh, perhaps the US, as their key markets, and have perhaps not looked at how they could conquer. Uh, the Asian market or, or South American market, for example, because it's not something they considered a suitable thing for how they operate. Whereas when you then have the investors coming in saying, well, yes, you're right, your current model is not the right model to go into these markets, but we can tell you and we can assist you in conquering these new markets. Do you have like a, a I, I don't know if case study is the right word for it, but like an example of like a transition, what one model might not be suited for say, let's say Europe, for example, what's a model that is uniquely suited for Europe that may not work in say South America? Right, okay. <clears throat> um, because um, the, the pharmaceutical market, the, the companies, they don't just manufacture products. They also have to market them in the various uh, regions. And that means you also have to find the payers for these. And the payers can differ enormous, enormously, whether they are uh, hospitals, whether they're uh, private insurance companies, public insurance companies, etc. And to, to uh, get your product paid for by the right payees may require certain business models. And that can differ, as I say, in South America compared with North America or Europe versus Asia. Uh, also, uh, when you look at the manufacturing itself, there you often have to have slightly different models of how you manufacture, uh, say, in Europe versus how you manufacture in, uh, say, uh, Africa, because you have a different uh, environment, you have a different culture, you have different uh, pools of expertise, for example. And um, whether such an endeavor is a viable one or not, um, you don't just want to try and find out it was a big error. So it's much better to have a partner like an investment company with experience who can tell you, well, if you do that, we haven't seen that work. But if you do another model, then we have seen very good returns on that and very good success rates. It, uh, it's May 2023 as we're recording this. In what areas do you see investors leaning towards investment capital in relative to past? Like, what are some increases we're seeing? Um, where these investments are happening is partly driven by what is also happening uh, on the global scale when you look at the supply chains. Because supply chains are unfortunately easily broken, easily disrupted uh, for all sorts of reasons. 
And this means that governments, especially in Europe and in the US, uh, and the regulators are encouraging the industry to move more of the capacities uh, into Europe, into the US, to prevent these disruptions to the supplies. There are lots of medicines that are in short supply that are really, really needed and difficult to get hold of. And so therefore, there will be guaranteed more investment and more capacity built up in Europe, in the US, in the coming years. That doesn't mean there won't be investment in other parts of the world, say Korea. There are lots of companies out there who are uh, 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 establishing new capacities, new facilities, especially for the biotech sector. But I think uh, especially Europe and US, you will see a, a lot of the investment going in. The pharma industry is very interesting in the sense that I feel like post-COVID, there has been a move towards reducing disruptions to the supply chain. But do you mean, in that sense, do you, would you say we're moving further and further away from the just-in-time supply chain model? Like, do you think that death of that is on its way? Or do you think certain industries can still, certain segments of the pharma industry can still use that? There's only there's only a certain degree to which the manufacturing capacity that moved effectively from the West to the East in the past can be brought back. Uh, it would be uh, irrational to think we can get 80, 90% of that back. This is impossible. They, 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 and no one really believes that. But even if you bring back 10, 20%, or even 30% of that capacity back into the West, that is massive. That is an awful lot. And um, there's no reason why there are, well, it's certainly on the way now, and we will have to see how far that goes. I mean, there's a limit to it all because you have, of course, a balance between the cost of manufacturing these goods and uh, the, the risk of having disruptions in the supply chain. So there will always be a certain number of uh, products that will be manufactured elsewhere and not locally. When you say regulators are encouraging this, are you seeing this in like the terms of guidances and things of that nature or more sort of towards like subsidies and uh, ways of bringing it in in a like, uh, monetary sense? Well, the regulators, be they US FDA, be they uh, a local regulators in Europe, or, or some of the regulators in China or Japan, all these regulators have, first and foremost, their own population in mind. Any medicine that they will approve needs to be for the benefit of their population. That is what it's about. So, <clears throat> And if there are, as I already said, many products that aren't available, that are in short supply, they all have an interest to have these products available to their patients, to their population. And to achieve that, you either have to have a more robust supply chain, or you bring the production as close to shore as possible. Gotcha. Um, 
are there any areas you see investment moving out of? Like one thing I thought was interesting. So I, I'm not entirely sure what the situation is in Europe at the moment, but I know the U, the U.S. government on uh, the 11th, we actually let the uh, public health emergency for the pandemic lapse. And culturally, I would say we've moved past the pandemic long ago, like the current debt ceiling negotiations. Uh, one thing that's at stake is Operation Next Gen, which is the, you know, the treatment the $5 billion funding for future COVID vaccines and treatments. Do you think as we as we see governments step away from COVID, that private uh, funding will try to fund future innovation in there? Or are we looking more towards using mRNA and that in different facets? Well, the, the, the private funding is not entirely dependent on what public funding is available. Although, of course, it's always a nice incentive. Um, what may be more of a driver is perhaps the cost of manufacture, and by that I mean the cost of uh, uh, energy. Uh, it's not just electricity, it's also gas, um, uh, and uh, the cost for these, especially in Europe, have exploded. And <clears throat> this is not a sustainable model for all the companies out there. So how far that goes, where there has to be, again, state subsidy, which has been discussed, um, on whether these companies will have to move away, um, that is something we will have to see. But I'm sure that the investment companies are watching this very closely. Do you think that would lead towards a preference towards companies that are investing more and more in sustainability measures and measures that keep uh, minimize energy production because you know that's just that's a cost. There is a business aspect of that other than like you know saving the world. Without a doubt, this there are huge huge efforts undertaken to minimize the the energy consumption. Um, however. Uh, some of the industries, and um, it's not necessarily the, the finished products, it's more perhaps the, the fine chemicals, etc. They are very energy intensive, and it's very, very difficult to reduce that dependency on energy and the amount of energy consumed. Um, so it's probably depending on the type of operation whether this is sustainable in the long term or not. Are there any areas in particular in the biopharma space that you perceive as being either there's a lot of funding that you don't understand why we're putting, putting so much into it, like overfunded, or anything that you're like, why are we putting more resources towards this? <laughs> uh, well, <clears throat> there is certainly uh, a lot of funding for selling gene therapy products uh, because yes they cure it's not just they treat disease they cure diseases so there's a huge benefit in this but when we look at the number of products that are on the market it's very small i think it's about 60 products globally so we still have a very small number of products that, um, that we have here for quite a lot of investment. So this is probably more an investment in the future than in the moment. 
if you were put put yourselves in the shoes of your average venture capitalist, you know, slick back hair and nice suit, uh, would you? Where would you be putting your money in the biopharma space? Like, what what do you perceive as either a safe investment or an area that you think would be is really promising and really interesting to you specifically? Well, I look at it from the perspective of where is the largest uh, population growth and where is um, probably a still untapped market in some way. And that's more Asia, where you have a huge, huge population that is aging, aging fast. Um, you also have um, uh, not so many products necessarily on the market of their biopharma products, I mean. And um, there are quite a number of companies that, as I say, are building facilities out there that are preparing to bring more uh, products or higher volumes of products onto the market. So this is where I would go with my money. Do you have any bold predictions for where this industry will be five years from now? I think what we will see is that rather than having just these large facilities making these um, biotech products on the ton or multi-ton scale, we will also see a trend. Uh, we will see facilities that are basically one container where you have the complete production facility, testing facility in one container that can be taken as close to the patient as possible i.e. typically to the hospital. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see in five years from now, containers being taken by pharma companies, biopharma companies to hospitals with the experts in there. So it's not just the container, it's the people in there, everything in there, they make the products there and then. It is interesting, it's interesting that you bring that up actually, because um... I was at Interfex last month and a lot of the outsourcing companies there specifically were saying how they're like, we're, they're trying to be a one-stop shop or whatnot, like get everything coordinated into one facility so that we, and I think this goes back to what you were saying earlier with the supply chain disruptions, like midwest supply chain disruptions, get everything together and you can like significantly lower costs that way. We just haven't, we we're seeing a lot of companies trying to do something like that. Hmm. Uh, again, it will never be 100%, because if you think of it, you may have all the experts to manufacture, to test, to release and all that, but you still need materials. You need the single-use uh, equipment, and someone has to give that to you, and someone has to sterilize that for you. And so there will still be a supply chain, and there will still be risks, but you're correct. It will be not just a one-stop shop, but it will be self-contained facilities, if you want, yeah? Uh, mobile facilities. If what we had seen with the COVID pandemic is that we didn't always have the right facility in the right location. And you can't just uh, look, uh, pick up a whole facility and take it somewhere else unless it's in a container. And this is why I think we really will see more of these facilities in the container. Sigrid, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I think it's 
it's very good that the investment companies don't just invest money to increase their, their money, but they take an active interest in how they can improve how these companies operate. And in the end, the benefit is not just for the biopharm industry or the investment, it's for the patients. Patients will have more access to more drugs and in more places. So yeah, it's a win-win for everyone. A big thank you to Sikri for taking the time to speak with us. That's it for this edition of the Drug Solutions Podcast. Stay safe and have a wonderful day. Cheers. to our editors and experts for sharing their insights. Stay tuned for future episodes of the Drug Solutions Podcast with the Pharmaceutical Technology Editors. If you want to stay in touch with the Pharmaceutical Technology team, subscribe to this podcast as well as to our e-newsletters. When you sign up for our newsletters, you will be updated about future episodes of Drug Solutions, receive our magazines, learn about upcoming webinars and hear about episodes of Drug Digest. Thanks to everyone for joining us for this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast.